The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. This week, I am absolutely delighted to welcome audio editor Royale, Harper W. Harris of The Thing Minute. Hey, guys. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to be that ominous. (laughs) (laughs) All good. Hey, we're doing a, you know, John Carpenter uh, brotherhood here. It's okay to be ominous. That's yes. just Molly's way of letting you know that she currently is the thing. <laughs> I suspected as much. Isn't it pretty tentacly the thing? <laughs> Only when you're not looking. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, I guess, well, and now I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess if you're, weren't there all those shots from behind with that like, eh? I just think about that scene where the, the dudes are all tethered up. And the one guy turns, and they're just like screaming and trying to get oh, away, yeah. and yeah, famous it's a classic. It is a classic. So Harper is steeped in the land of John Carpenter, so it is good that he is here, and also steeped in the land of audio engineering for film and TV. So I'm excited to uh, hear your insights, uh, especially when it comes to the, the the sound and the music. So sure. So welcome. And uh, we are welcome- welcoming you to Minute 31, and it begins with Snake checking out the wreck of Air Force One, and it ends with him still checking out the wreck of Air Force One. Well, it's like one of those things where, like, if you go to the trouble to set up a wrecked Air Force One, you're not just going to show it for, like, 10 seconds. You're going to get all, everything you can get out of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's yes. a major set piece for this movie. Yeah, I didn't. I, it's funny when I just watched the minutes by themselves. I was like, "Yeah, man, this is awesome. This is exactly the cool stuff I remember about Escape from New York." And then I was watching them with commentary and the way they t- everybody talked about. It, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is like one of the most like ambitious like scenes and shots of the entire movie. Like this was a big, really big deal." Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a real airplane that's broken up and on fire so yeah it's on on that level yeah i mean that's there's no cgi there you get what you get (laughs) which is awesome yeah this was a dc-8 and an old decommissioned dc-8 plane and they they got it out of a wreckage yard and they cut it into three sections and they plopped it on an actual street on location yeah, which I don't think was something that, well, I mean, maybe this has happened before, but certainly not in a John Carpenter movie. This is definitely like upping his production value to a, an entirely new level, you know, uh, for in his career, for sure. But um, yeah, it's it's I don't know how deep into like the commentaries and stuff you guys tend to dig. Um, but I thought it was super interesting that uh, Dean Cundy was talking about how this was the kind of set piece that you couldn't have done even like a few years before this, before they shot this, just because mm. they didn't have the kind of, uh, I don't know if it was the film or the lenses or the type of cameras, but they couldn't shoot in this level of low light um, mm. with something so, so wide. Like they're lighting this huge, like a, basically an entire city block and shooting this like super wide, which is really hard to do. Um, so this was uh, really kind of like a, a big kind of technical achievement from a um, cinematographer point of view too, which is really cool. 
That is really cool. I had no idea. That's awesome information. I was just going to say, it's funny, you know, yeah, you, <laughs> you asked for, for insight on the sound and this is like the, probably the quietest minute in this entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We actually, I, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I, when we started this show, I decided to keep track of how many self-contained minutes will we have where there's absolutely no dialogue whatsoever. Oh, and yeah? this is already that we're in minute 31. This is already the third time that we have an episode with not one word spoken. No kidding. That's kind of surprising. Well, the it thing is, is like, I mean, there are, there are stretches that there are probably more than three minutes up to this point in the movie with no dialogue, right. but they might be split across, you know, the, our, our episodes, the way we cut up the movie. Right. Uh, so it's just, it's is our third episode with no dialogue, but certainly we've had other episodes where probably the first 40 seconds had nothing. And, you know, the previous 30 seconds of the previous mm-hmm. episode had nothing. Yeah. It's kind of surprising because this movie has, you know, start, starts with a, starts with voiceover. And like, I, I was actually surprised. It's been a, probably a year or two since I've watched it. And I forgot that like every piece of text that's on the screen in the beginning of the movie is also read aloud, like just in case. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it is kind of funny that there are that many there's that much uh, that many chunks of the movie that don't have dialogue. I'm surprised to hear that. Snake's a pretty uh, um, he's a man of few words, though. <laughs> yes, that's true. When he, when he speaks, he makes a count. That's right. <laughs> and uh, just to uh, continue talking about this location site, uh, don't bother trying to find this site if you happen to be in that part of the world there in St. Louis, East St. Louis, because this whole area has been completely redeveloped, so... You're, you're not going to, it's not going to look like this anymore. Correct, Those Molly? jerks. <laughs> yeah, it has been, uh, it's been given a bit of a facelift. So that's an awesome setup because I went on a deep journey to find this particular location. And so I had gone online and there's this, uh, it's a pretty great website and, and we do get quite a bit of good information from it. And it's uh, movie-locations.com. And so they have a lot of just good information about the different uh, locales and, you know, Los Angeles being one and then, you know, this part of St. Louis. So what was interesting was it listed the plane crash site as the corner of North Broadway and St. Charles Street. And also because there was a fire a few years prior that this particular area was especially attractive to shoot in because it looked like it was quite run down and horrible things had happened because they had because there was a really crazy fire. So um, I don't know what it is about my particular Google searching, but when I had initially put in those cross streets, I just got a very large map with three tags on it. First was the Pure Pleasure Adult Mega Center, (laughs) Bissinger's Handcrafted Chocolatier, and the third was 500 North Broadway Building. So that actually is supposed to be in the corner of St. Charles and uh, North Broadway. So in looking at Google Maps and, and looking at the the satellite footage, I'm like, God, this corner doesn't look right at all. I mean, you know, this building's been here since 1970. I mean, and it's had a redo like in 2013. I'm like, ah, you know, I just this doesn't seem quite right. So I start digging around a little bit more about this particular area because there's, you know, quite a bit that's been shot. And I found uh, an additional article from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch talking about the fire, knowing that, you know, there was this this huge incident that happened. So back in 1976, there was a fire along Locust Street. And the, like, patient zero, the point of origin was 2032 Locust Street, which is the old Heyday Shoe Building. And so basically, it was like this heinous fire that was like so bad that there was a uh, traffic reporter, you know, helicopter reporter, who could feel the heat at 1,700 feet. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, it was like three blocks went down. Seventeen hundred feet. That's uh, that's only one tenth the height of the World Trade Center, right, Molly? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> 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 it's like it's halfway to the moon. <laughs> How many enterprises is that? at least five i had i had a math fail last week so that's where (laughs) there's some context behind uh i'm not doing anything (laughs) with numbers anymore uh, anymore like that's it so there there will be no more numbery research all that shit's coming from eric from here on out (laughs) (laughs) so it was uh it was pretty bad and then there was this uh really great quote from this article that police chief eugene camp was hit by debris and the fire chief lou strauss said that people don't realize that but we almost lost the city of St. Louis. So, wow. yeah, so it was, it was pretty intense. So arson investigators later surmised that the scrap metal thieves had ignited the heyday with an acetylene torch, which kind of fits in with our whole motif here for the, the movie. So the city raised and bulldozed parts of three blocks and the heyday site became a parking lot after all. However, one building survived and that's the Schlafly Brewery at 2100 Locust. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what that looks like. And then that led me to actually going to find that particular building. And what I found was that building is the one that's in this particular shot. So hmm. the information I had was slightly incorrect initially, although we, we got there in the end, but uh, the cross street is actually uh, Locust and St. Charles. So this particular brewery where, and we see this, it's when you're looking at it initially, like there's this like spewing fire hydrant. So hmm. it's literally on the other side of the fire hydrant. That's the That's the one building that survived. The one with the brick, the brick facade. Yep, yep. Okay. That's the that's wow. the brewery tap room now. So brewery's been there since 1991, but it has a very interesting history. Um, the building's original designer was a self-taught architect, and he was also the first director of the St. Louis Art Museum. Um, the two adjoining buildings had pretty good bones, steel girders put in place to support the weight of printing presses of the early 1900s for the Swift Printing Company. However, after 65 years, the printing company moved on and the building was uninhabited for 22 years until the Schlafly Brewery came in in 1991. So it's got uh, a little bit of history to it, but that's what's up with that particular corner. So... That is some grade-A investigative journalism. I think you busted this thing wide open, Molly. (laughs) I did. I went balls deep into the location, and this is the the results of that. (laughs) The next next Blu-ray of of Escape from New York needs needs a whole featurette about your your journey into (laughs) discovering... Falsifying information on (laughs) movielocations.com. Molly, speaking of balls deep, how many blocks away is that mega center? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I didn't look that up specifically. It's a few, I think it's north of there. Uh, But it's in, we'll have to look at that. However, Eric did find some really good information about that mega center as well. Because (laughs) I was like, look what all the things that I found. Look, numbers aren't my thing, but I can still do research. Look, look, it's good. It's good. So, well, just if you want to look up the mega center the there the people have done yelp and google reviews of it so you can find out if you'd like to buy your paraphernalia there you can see if it's your type of uh, establishment or not but they won some award in 2008 so you know that's <laughs> oh like, yeah best that's... Built store or something like that yes <laughs> yeah so if you're if you're a local to st louis or you're visiting and you want a quality award-winning establishment head on down to the mega center <laughs> well they really need like a snake plissken endorsement I mean that would that would that would do it for me. 
<laughs> I know. How amazing would that be? His first name is Snake. So oh, that's true. <laughs> A lot of possibilities there. <laughs> so you talked about the the plane wreckage. You know, we, we mentioned it a few minutes ago, and it made me think of other movies that have plane wreckage in them that are a major, at least, you know, that are like a major part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I three came to mind. The, the most obvious one is the movie Alive, of course. I mean, the entire movie takes place in plane wreckage. Uh, but also there's an awesome 80s sci-fi movie, Millennium. Yes, mm. that is awesome. Yeah, they have, uh, Chris Christopherson is investigating the wreckage of a plane crash and then get involved with time travel and all kinds of craziness. And then if I'm, I only saw this movie once, but I believe that the wreckage of the plane is a part of it. The movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Don't they, at some point, the plane's like on the ground and they're investigating after the plane crashes. Am I yeah. That right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is um, The Gray, that Liam Neeson movie where he crashes in, I think it's in Alaska or Canada. Oh, yeah. And he has to survive a pack of wolves. Yes. Like a badass. <laughs> I think that might have been pre taken as well. Yeah, it might have been. Might have been. Um, they uh, apparently the plane wreckage was so in this movie was so um, realistic that John Carpenter claims that uh, there were newspapers that had articles the next day claiming that there was an actual plane that crashed in the middle of the city and there were eyewitness uh, <laughs> eyewitnesses who claimed they saw it go down. <laughs> oh, wow, that's just like the internet before there was the internet. Yeah, you know, like, oh yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, can't believe everything you read in the St. Louis newspaper, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, and now in the draft script, there's there's an interesting quick shot that did not make it into past the draft script phase. Snake, as he gets close to the plane, he sees one of the other prisoners running away with a bunch of uniforms and seat cushions that they obviously <laughs> stole out of the wreckage. And so Snake then actually goes into the plane and he enters the cockpit. And he finds the dead pilot's body still sitting in the seat, and the pilot's head has been scalped. Ooh. Oh, wow. I'm wondering, Molly, if that ties into the somewhat racist cutscene that we talked about last week with the Native American gang. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what it is. I'm just kind of wondering what the point is after, you know, I presume that, you know, everybody died on impact who was in the plane so i'm just wondering what the post-mortem scalping was about yeah i don't know that, that, that that's all the script it's just stage direction in the script there's no dialogue or anything so uh, there's no context given to it weird. yeah yeah it's it weird it is a little strange that he doesn't investigate the inside of the plane at all though right yeah it is like, weird i agree like you think that would be the one of the first things he do although i guess he knows that the president escaped on the pod but still like you know might might offer some kind of clue yeah, I mean, he he says he gets on the walkie-talkie. Well, I guess that's tomorrow's minute. All right, I won't blow that. We'll, we'll save that for tomorrow's yeah. minute. Well, I mean, I guess Snake's not like the world's greatest detective either. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. He was sent in to find the president and the briefcase. He, he could care less about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like that um, that this minute is very quiet. Because mm-hmm. all it's it's got like this kind of like very low drone in the background, but other than that, there's no music. There's very little in the way of like sound effects. It's mostly just kind of ambience. So it really, I don't know. I think it helps add to the the scale of it. Like this whole this minute in particular is like 
probably the first time you really get a sense of like what the inside of New York is like, um, mm. you know, and, and how big this whole thing is and how, you know, post-apocalyptic it's really going to look. Um, but I love the little touches of having like the guys run by in the background. And then a little, after that, they have some guys run by in the foreground in front of snake. And it's just like, you know, it's that creepy, like um, almost like a ghost town kind of thing. Like, where are those guys going? What are they running from? You know, but there's like, you know, there's no backstory to it. It's just there to kind of add a little bit of a little flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It smacks more of like a zombie trope. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the kind of this this minute really highlights the kind of um, how unique this movie is. I always I didn't really think about it before, but it's like it's very interesting in that it is like it's an action movie, but it's also a sci-fi movie and it's also very much a post-apocalyptic movie. Um, it's, it's somehow post-apocalyptic and um, dystopian at the same time, which is really interesting to have mm-hmm. like those two kind of pitted against each other. Well, let me, let me get your opinion on that. We, we talked about with one or two previous guests about this, that John Carpenter did has said in the past that this is a sci-fi movie. And I wasn't, a hundred percent in agreement that this was a science fiction movie. Do you, do you go along with that? What What do you think? I think it's, it's kind of, I would say it's light science fiction. Um, just for the fact that like, you know, there's no, I guess there's nothing that's like insanely high tech, like, but it does take place in the future. Uh, well, not anymore, but when it came out, <laughs> uh, and there are some little bits of like kind of semi futuristic tech, like the, the tracker and, um, uh the, well obviously like the graphics when they're like when he's landing the plane and that kind of stuff are definitely meant to have like kind of a futuristic look to them um but yeah it's definitely more of like i guess it's sci-fi in the same way that like fahrenheit 451 is sci-fi like there's mm-hmm. nothing super um scientific about it necessarily but it's a, like a it's a um what's the word i'm looking for it's a look at the future you know a cautious look at what the future might hold. And that tends mm. to be a sci-fi thing. That's a really nice wording. A cautious look. Yeah. Yeah. That's just thing that you mentioned Fahrenheit 451, because that, I mean, 1984 is always looked at as sci-fi. And again, there's nothing really too sci-fi about 1984, but just, it was set, you know, 35 years in the future. So it, it became sci-fi. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the, like, I, I'm not super knowledgeable about, that kind of difference between like light sci-fi and hard sci-fi, but like I would like 1984 would be like a light sci-fi and something like uh, uh, 2001, a space odyssey would be like hard sci-fi, like very Mm. based in like potential scientific fact that, you know, uh, whereas this is more just like using the future as a lens to, to think about what might happen. Right. I mean, you know, Star Trek is hard sci-fi. That's set in the future. So it's just, you know, it's just interesting to consider, right, 2001 and Star Trek in the same genre as Escape from New York and Fahrenheit 451. Right, right. right. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I never I really thought about it that, that deeply, but it is kind of interesting. Yeah, because I always think about science fiction as having a hallmark of really imaginative technology to it. Mm-hmm. And this... Although I think there's aspects of that, like, you know, his watch is a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, for the time, a little sci-fi. Um, but that's really, you know, maybe some of the, I mean, the graphics, yes, the beacon, that type of thing. Uh, but that's kind of it, the rest of it. And this really is the beginning. I mean, I love the turning of this week because this is where it starts to get kind of fucking weird. 
And definitely, <laughs> I really, I remember watching this and being like, what? <laughs> First time. And, you know, we're, we're going to get there where it, it, it kind of shifts from this militarized zone to, oh, these are, this is how folks are living here. Okay. This is, this is the, the reality of, of the existence. And so we're, we're starting to get a little bit more into the, the, the strangeness of this world. We've, we've finally waded through that. So yeah, yeah it's I, it, it's super weird. You're totally right. It's and it, I can't think of another movie that really has those two things kind of in the same sphere. <laughs> like mm-hmm. to have that like like the opening is all very like clean and you know very like meticulously designed, and then all the stuff in New York is like trashed and bizarre, and like the Duke drives a car that has chandeliers attached to the hood. (laughs) Like, you know, you would not, if you just saw like a scene of the Duke's car and a scene of the beginning, like, like, uh, you know, one of the, um, with like the graphics, like one of the computerized graphics parts, like Mm -hmm. you would never guess those two were in the same movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not at all. No, they're totally disparate. And and that's what makes this, uh, I mean, a cult classic too, in a lot of ways is the, the, the strange mashups and that's what's really and and we're just we're just going to get the tip of it you know this week but this is the yeah this is this is what makes this really interesting is that you know we th- there isn't the level of you know organization and you know that almost like clean minimalist nordic sci-fi feel that we get even from like minority report or the the reboot of star trek and you know one might argue that that's a little bit more utopian in terms of uh, a view but you know what i've always liked about this movie is it's dirty it's just like grungy and dirty and just just looks like a bomb went off it's just fucked up and people are just like on the fringes you know like seeing these couple of folks just just run through or the one guy a couple of minutes back who was just like, I don't know if he was drinking like a 40 or like a bottle of wine. He's just hanging out and watching, just doing his thing. And it's just those little, little snacks, the visual snacks that we get that, that really fill this out well. That's interesting. You, you mentioned dirty and grungy and, and Harper used, used the word trash. And actually, in look as we go through this movie, now that we're finally really in the streets of Manhattan... The, the stuff that you see strewn all about the streets in the set decoration, they went to a junkyard and just raided a junkyard. And that's where they got the stuff for the streets to decorate the location set. So oh, wow. it's, it's exactly what they were going for. This seems like one of those things that like as an art director, it's probably really fun to set this up. And then at some point you have to realize like, oh my God, we have to clean all this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got to be super fun on the front end and really depressing on the back end. <laughs> well, you make the interns clean it up. That's all. Yeah. Screw those PAs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Can you just imagine just like a long day of just cleaning all that stuff up and just the smell at the end of it? Cause if you got that from a junkyard, like, oof, man, like get your tetanus shot. Like it's <laughs> burning <laughs> garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's the uh, scratch and sniff for this scene. <laughs> yes, it is. There we go. If it was, if it was a John Waters movie. <laughs> By the time this episode airs, uh, I will do my best to try to find some way in uh, our Facebook group to get a scratch and sniff through Facebook. <laughs> smell I look forward to that. Actual location. I had one other quick question for you guys. Yeah. Do you think 
the plane caused all of this damage, or does it normally look pretty much like this aside from the the plane sitting in the middle of the black? <laughs> mm, good well, question. Well, you know from looking at the graphic of the plane crashing earlier that the plane slammed into a building and then fell. We don't really see any remains of a building collapsing or, or anything right. like that. Uh, so this must be maybe after the plane slammed into the building, it, I don't know, it, it fell a block away or something like that. Certainly looks like it has a small radius of destruction. This plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the wings hit two buildings and then it just sort of fell straight down. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem to me like the plane, besides maybe lighting a few of these fires, the plane didn't seem to do a whole lot here. Like maybe it's just like another day in, in, in New York for these, for the prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kind of presumed that, just looking at the rest of the movie and that there's just so much like crap laying around. And then, you know, when we get to actually them being in cars and there's just, just piles of shit laying around, Mm -hmm. it's really challenging to be able to tell other than the random couple of tires and these, you know, crunched up pieces of metal. I just kind of presume like most of this is kind of how this is. Yeah, that was my thought, too. It's just like, you know, in a modern movie, they would be probably the plane would have probably demolished two buildings and Snake would be crawling over rubble or whatever. But it's Mm -hmm. this is really effective in setting the tone because it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is what it looks like. And after these fires go out, I mean, some of the prisoners are totally going to make that plane their new home. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sweet digs. (laughs) I'm living in Air Force One. (laughs) (laughs) there's probably some really good snacks on board right oh man the best peanuts that money can buy right unless the president stole them all brought them in the pod with him i don't know (laughs) that seems like a donald pleasant's kind of thing (laughs) doesn't it and give me those snacks before i launch (laughs) (laughs) you see this pod's shaped like a peanut so i have to take all the peanuts with me Uh, well, Harper, thanks for joining us today. Harper's going to be with us all week. You got any any places people can find you online? Anything you want to plug? Sure. Um, well, yeah, if you want some more John Carpenter uh, movies by minute goodness, um, I did The Thing Minute that I wrapped up last year uh, at thethingminute.com. So that was super awesome. And then, um, yeah, just my regular, all my uh, audio stuff is up on harperwharris.com. All right, great. And as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, check us out on Facebook. We like to chat in Brains Library the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. We're also on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Rate and review us, and make sure you subscribe. And until tomorrow, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. (laughs) 